Welcome to the Future Worlds podcast. Future Worlds is the on-campus startup accelerator at the University of Southampton. We exist to help the aspiring founders at the university to change the world with their ideas. And that means I get the immense privilege of spending time with and helping some of the most exceptionally talented startup founders in the world right at the beginning of their journeys as they're getting started, forming the vision for what they're going to try and do and gaining that early momentum. And it's great great when we see those people go from that point and then they push on and they achieve some great success on the world stage. And so today it's a real privilege to welcome back to Future Worlds, Daniel Martino Corbishley, uh, the co-founder of AuraVision, which is one of those great successes that has come through over the last few years and has done some incredible things on the world stage since working with us at Future Worlds. So AuraVision works with retailers and shopping malls to combine cutting edge AI with existing camera infrastructure to accurately count customers, employees, demographics, and engagement in real time. And since uh, going through Future Worlds, they've then gone on, uh, went through YC a couple of years ago, raised uh, over a million dollars in a seed round last year to take this infrastructure into the world. So loads of incredible stuff that you've done, Daniel. Thank you so much for coming back and, and talking to us. Uh, and of course, you're exhibiting or have been exhibiting with Future Worlds at CES this week. So it's been great to have you uh, with us through this week as well. But tell us more. What does it really mean? What, what I've just said about Aurovision, what does it really mean that you're doing day to day with your customers? Yeah, so we do two things with, with retailers. So the first is we just measure their business. We measure all the stuff they couldn't measure before, like how their stores are performing, what their customers are doing in store to give them benchmarks about why stores are performing well. And the second thing is, is giving them recommendations off the back of that. So we do a lot, of, a lot of work helping them understand the data to actually say, look, this store's underperforming for this reason. Here's what you know. Here's what you didn't know. Here's how we think you can make this better ultimately to to make their stores more profitable. So generating more pounds per square foot, per square meter on that floor footprint. So it's very expensive, obviously, to run physical spaces. So you need to make sure that they're making the most of them. And we give them the, the insights to do that. Fantastic. And, and of course, you can see the appeal for kind of traditional brick and mortar retailers that are having to come up against e-commerce and they've got to become more intelligent with their data and understand their customers in order to, to succeed. At the best of times, that's the case, as you can see the appeal. But over the last year, where virtually every normal retailer has been shut down and, and this huge shift into e-commerce, this has been an incredibly tough year to be in that space. What's that look like for you? Yeah, 2020 has been unbelievable. You know, it's obviously been incredibly, incredibly challenging for retailers all over the world. Um, not something that we put into our business plan. I can't admit that um, the entire, you know, planning for the entire world's retail stores to be closed for over three months was something that we we envisaged. Um, but at the same time, it's presented a huge number of opportunities for us. So uh, we we added a few extra features very, very early on in the pandemic. So we brought out a range of COVID secure features. They included things like social distancing measures. Um, so we can see if staff are standing too close together or customers are standing too close together or staff are standing too close to customers. So we can visualize this. Another big one that we brought out was um, live occupancy. So um, you may have seen recently when you walk into some stores, it tells you when it's safe or not to enter the store based on how many people are in there. So we can now do that with our systems. We have a little web page that opens up. You can put it on a tablet or a digital display to show people 
what the capacity of the store is and if it's safe or not to, to enter. So that's been super and that, that saves retailers money because they don't have to have a staff member standing on the entrance, um, counting people in and out one by one. We can just automate this process for them. And that's particularly important for some of the smaller retailers that don't have, you know, they don't have 20 staff members in a, in a supermarket. They might only have one or two um, on the tills. So being able to automate that process is actually quite game changing for them. But at the same time, I think, analytics has really really come to the forefront now in physical retail all retailers have suddenly realized that in order to stay alive in order to keep their their heads um, above the water and really make the most of the recovery of retail that's that's about to happen they need to understand what is driving customers and how to optimize their store so one of our one of our investors who's actually um the ex-ceo of tiffany and co um, she recently attended a, a conference just for like C C CEOs, the kind of C-suites. And she said that the number one keyword was analytics, analytics for brick and mortar stores. Um, so it's really getting a, a big name now. As you mentioned, Ben, the kind of growth of e-commerce is, is great. And that's something that's been accelerated during lockdown. Um, and it, it, part of the reason that's been so successful is because they have all the analytics, they know the data, they know what's going on. And seeing such massive, massive changes in the physical world um, is showing retailers that actually, whoa, we need to be measuring this a lot more carefully now because these changes are, are large, they're wild, and we need to be able to predict them in the future. And obviously, I mean, it's shocking that you didn't see a global pandemic coming and completely <laughs> revolutionising the industry you're working in. I mean, it's shocking that you didn't have that <laughs> foresight. But having had that bombshell land, how quickly were you able to respond to the difference that made? Yeah, we were incredibly lucky, actually, because we've got, obviously, we've got a dedicated team working on the tech every day. Um, so we could have a, a meeting, a sit down, as soon as um, you know the UK went into lockdown, we were like, okay, what do we need to do to ensure that a we we survive this pandemic because it is going to be tough. Budgets and um, time at retailers is going to be stripped, so it's going to be harder for us to to, to potentially make new sales to scale up. Um, but at the same time, what value can we bring to them? What can we do to help them navigate this time? And we did so. We did two things. We one of them was on the tech and the product side. We kind of dived into that. Okay, what extra features could we bring very, very quickly to the forefront? And, and one of the easy and obvious ones with these heat maps, because we already present heat maps to our clients. And we have all this information to see how far are people standing from one another. And it was like, super, we can just whip this up in a week, get an MVP out there. And actually, all of our customers now have that. Um, by default, they have that, that feature on their dashboard. The other thing we did was actually look at uh, the dates and the timing. So we launched a, a lockdown tracker um, because it was very hard to see when countries were going into lockdown. And at the time, we didn't know when they were coming out of lockdown. Um, so we wanted to track how that was progressing across the world. And actually, we, we launched that on our website as just a little kind of info piece. We updated it every day, every other day uh, manually, just because it was useful for us. And then we thought it might be useful for, for everyone else. And that actually drove a huge amount of traffic to our website. We increased our website traffic by 30 times over the first few months of having that launch. And that was super from a from a marketing perspective and a brand awareness perspective. We actually got some deals, uh, some pretty big deals. Um, uh, I think I can mention with the likes of BP um, that came out of that, um, which we're just um, uh, installing and deploying with them at a first pilot now. Uh, and we got some other interest off the back of that. So that was a super thing to do from a, from a marketing point of view. Wow, thanks, Dan. I, that's just 
it's just fascinating because obviously from the outside, people looking in would see, okay, you're you're a startup. Yeah, things are risky anyway. Then suddenly a pandemic comes in. It completely obliterates your core market. Everything's bleak. Everything's everything's gone to custard. And yet, actually, what you've been able to do is respond to that, drive a thirty-fold increase in your web traffic, get some major deals off the back of that because of the exposure, and deliver some exceptional value to your clients that they wouldn't have assumed they would have been able to get otherwise. What is it that means that you were able to suddenly turn what was a crisis into a really interesting and valuable opportunity? Yeah, so obviously it hasn't all been roses. Like we've had to make some uh, challenging decisions over the last year and survival is is the aim of the game. Obviously we're an early business, so we don't have like a huge um, uh, amount of, of capital at disposal. So we have to ensure that we survive, but we've actually done really well um, in 2020 and onboarding new clients um, and also seeing where the market is. Obviously the UK has especially been especially hard hit in the retail sector. I mean, every day you hear about some closure or acquisition by by Mike Ashley, um, some new retailer that's, that's challenged. But um, other places in the world, that there's a lot of opportunity. And actually in Asia, in the Middle East, we're seeing a lot of interest now. So we've really diversified um, where we're selling and how we're selling it as well. We found that building relationships is a great way to um, get new sales. So rather than just going direct every time, um, building relationship with resellers um, and other large companies that have basically pre-made um, pre-made networks, pre-made prospects that they already sell to and they're looking to um, add additional products on, that's a really great opportunity for us where we can go in, we can essentially make one sale and then replicate that across their entire network. So that's something that we're focusing on now as part of our core strategy. That's a really interesting point, Daniel, because so often uh, I see, particularly with technical founders, that you can underestimate the importance of partnerships as as a route to expansion. And and tell me more a little bit about what those kind of partnerships can look like for people who, who perhaps aren't familiar. Yeah. So obviously when you're starting out, you're just thinking, right, I need to sell this to people and they're just going to buy it from me. Um, but in our industry, because we're an enterprise sales company, you know, we're, we're a, a small startup and we're talking to some of the largest businesses in the world. Um, and it can be challenging to get in there when you're early, um, you might not have a huge reputation behind you. So being able to build strategic partnerships with other businesses that already have these sales relationships and have a need to add uh, the latest and greatest technology to their repertoire is actually a super great way of getting into the market. And because we've done a lot of the direct sales now, we've built our, our processes, we know what the product is, how to sell it, we've built it up, we've got our operations nailed down. Now we can kind of take this model and give it to um, some of these large corporates to actually go and resell. So for example, we're talking to some of the largest businesses in the world around um, CRMs who do like customer management, who um, uh, provide big business analytics. And these, these businesses are, are businesses that if you're a very big corporate, for example, if you're like a Tesco's or a Sainsbury's or any kind of large business that sells to customers, you have to use one of these big uh, businesses that to manage your customer database. You just have to. Everyone uses them because they are the de facto. They're kind of like the Apple, the Samsung but of business. Um, and so building relationships with those guys and getting our products to their clients is a great way of kind of cutting, um, uh, taking a shortcut into the sales and then kind of using their resources to get in there um, rather than just 
doing everything under our own steam. And that's been a, a really great kind of st strategic decision that we've taken and we're pushing forward and we're seeing a lot of um, opportunities coming uh, to fruition at the beginning of 2021, which is re really exciting for us. Yeah, it's fantastic. And of course, you can tap into all of their commercial infrastructure then that can can take you to scale that much more quickly. And and of course, some of them are very aggressive on their growth and, and aggressive on supporting their partners, perhaps in investing in them and helping them to grow more quickly as well. So that could be a really exciting time ahead for you as you pursue that. I guess I'm I'm really interested in what it is that's made the difference on the mindset. I suppose that you approach that crisis with that optimism around you can you can find a way through this that's not just survival but is also flourishing. What is it that you think has made that difference for you? Yeah, I think there's there's two things here. The, the first is that we've got a pretty hot technology that's really different, and we suddenly found ourselves in a position where we could actually make a difference. And, and be unique in doing it. We're not just copying what everyone else is doing. We're like, whoa, there's some new things we can bring to the table here that no one's thought of before. Let's do this. And, and that's, that's worked really, really well. And I think part of that mindset that we've, we've learned to build has been from joining Y Combinator in the US and seeing the kind of US optimism for building businesses and how their outlook is. And a large part of this is thinking about the vision for your business going beyond like, oh yeah, what's your kind of 10 year vision? Oh, I'm just gonna be like the largest analytics um, product in the world. It's like, okay, but what does that give you? Like what advantages would, would would be brought if you were the largest analytics provider to retailers? Where would you go next after that? And constantly asking yourself questions like, okay, where does that take you next? Where does that take you next? And when you kind of dive into that that rabbit hole and you, you, you go through the process of thinking, okay, what would we do if we actually were in this position? really informs your day-to-day -day strategy all the way back to where you are now. So we can think about, okay, yeah, if we actually wanted to get there in 10 years, we need to be building strategic partnerships now. And we need to be understanding how those guys sell to the next level and the next level. Um, and and that's been that's been quite game-changing for us. And that's brought this kind of optimistic outlook on, okay, if we're doing this now, where's that going to take us in three years, five years, 10 years? Um, and it, it really... It shows that you can build like an exciting journey and exciting vision uh, around where you are now, even if you've only just started or you've only just got your MVP out or you've only got your, your first customer. You can be like, yeah, I can see where on the journey this is going to take me to the next level. Yeah, and that's really interesting to hear. And of course, a lot of people know of, of YC. It's kind of got the highest profile of startup accelerators in the world, right there in Silicon Valley. Some of the, the, the biggest names in tech that have come through there, like Dropbox and Stripe and Airbnb. What was it like day to day going through that program? Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Um, you know, the big, big value pool for YC is that they help you raise funds in the US. And it's a different ball game. Uh, YC have really set out the playing field. So they have a huge number of startups that go through now. Um, they have an enormous amount of kudos in the investor space and they're extremely founder friendly. So they do everything they can to get you up to speed to make sure you're raising at max valuation, max capital uh, with the right investors and that you've got the right pitch. And part of that is thinking about your vision, thinking about what is it going to take for you to be a billion dollar company and obviously going through that betting procedure going through the interview selling the dream to the yc mentors is, is part of that process and being able to get through that gives you almost like a stamp of approval like yes they've got the vision they've got the dream they've got the the know-how to get there 
we're going to help them get to that next stage, get that big seed round out of the way so they can actually build on this and actually take this to through to, uh, to fruition. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear and certainly resonates, I suppose, with with where we're coming from in terms of that founder focused, centered on the exceptionally talented founders and believing that if you back them and enable them to fulfill and pursue their vision, then great things happen. And we see it time and time again, like, you know, Uga Sahin, founder of BioNTech, the, the first company to be able to bring a vaccine for COVID, that classic great university based founder who was backed and, and was able to follow his vision for we can deliver a vaccine quicker than anyone else and and turning the whole company behind that and able to deliver on it and certainly great to hear you sharing that experience do you think that's do you think that's common like is, is that the kind of response you get because you're you're back in the uk so you you did time in in yc you raised in the us but you're also based in the uk is, is that common from your experience when you're when you're meeting people here in the uk yeah so i mean to get into yc you have to have that optimistic streak. I think it's something that they look for in um, in startups, and it's something that you need as, as a kind of a, a core value almost um, in order to be successful. So you can power through some of the difficult times, like the the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. Obviously, it's extremely challenging, but you can really step away from that and think, okay, where what what can I can I use build this to, to my advantage, and how can I deliver as much value as possible? And I think it's becoming more and more common, and and this is this precedent has been set by successful US companies that have had a wild dream, have had a wild dream, a vision of be able to um, take that to fruition. Obviously, part of the ability to do that is the, the, the financial landscape in the US. There's a lot more cash floating about. Investors are typically also more optimistic, um, and that makes it easier to have that kind of vision. But it's more and more common now that startups are going to YC and then moving back to their original home countries, they're coming back to the UK or um, India. There's a lot of Indian startups that go through um, Y Combinator and actually go back home and take back that kind of optimistic perspective and their learnings there and then and, and kind of share that out into their local environment. So there's actually a really big um, YC uh, London group that we're part of. Lots of startups have come back here and been very, very successful after going through that program. So, yeah, it's been a fantastic experience. And I think there's learnings we can share with, with everyone from, you know, future worlds um, all the way through to, to, to large uh, big businesses that have well-established sales teams. You can really bring that, that optimistic streak to, to the conversation. It certainly chimes with with my perspective and experience. And I see certainly last year there was a record amount of American-based VC funding flowing into the UK market. I see that that trend is heading in that direction. Uh, and certainly that brings me hope that there will be a growing uh, momentum behind that as we go forward. Would that would that be what you would you would think as well? Yeah, definitely. Um I think there's a lot of good stuff in the UK going on, you know, obviously outside of future worlds. Um, there's a lot of government grants. Um, the, the UK government are starting to get a handle on how to treat startups, how to build that startup ecosystem. And I think Future Worlds um, is really being a, a pioneer in that space in the UK, being able to show them like, look, this is what you need to do to be successful, to pull the UK potentially out of Brexit, not getting too political. But, you know, where are we going after leaving the, after leaving the EU? We need um, you know, if this country is, is to survive as it is, it needs to set a precedent that it's a world leader and, and building a vibrant startup scene is one of the key pieces of that puzzle. And I think Future Worlds is well ahead of the game here. And hopefully more people can take lead from, from what you guys are doing because it's incredibly, incredibly important. 
Thank you. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. Uh, so from the outside, you know, people look at you and say, wow, great. You've done all of these things. You've gone through YC. You know, most people can't do that. You've raised uh, a lot to, to power forward. Lots of people can't do that. You've got this vision of being, you know, could be a billion dollar company. Um, only other people do that. Have you always believed that's what you're going to do? Did you always have that mindset or, or, or did it start somewhere along the way? No, it, it really started. I would. It's, it's just grown. It's grown from you know a, a, a nascent idea into into something larger than than we could ever have imagined at this point. Um, while we were studying our, our PhDs, Jamie and I, um, we were both really interested in in startups and businesses. And I think it, this is for the reason that when you study a PhD, you're working on some really cool, cutting edge stuff, but you can't really get it into people's hands. And, and the way that we, we saw doing that was, was, you know, building a business, building something that we could actually see people tangibly using the product. Um, and, and we were working on something very exciting. You know, the huge advances in deep learning in the computer vision space were incredibly exciting. We were seeing stuff that we just never seen before. Um, and we thought there's got to be a huge number of, of kind of commercial opportunities um, to build something exciting out of this. And combining Jamie's um, prior startup experience and my um, experience working in retail and working with some other startups, um, that was how we landed on Aurovision. And, and really, we were very early. We thought, we've got something really cool. We're pretty sure this is going to deliver value for retailers. But there were so many pieces that we hadn't got in place. Like, how do we? How do you approach retailers? They're huge companies. I don't know how to um, you know, start talking to them. I don't know how to, to raise funds. But these are just challenges you just start working out. And as you get deeper and deeper into the process, you realize, actually, Loads of people have done this before. There's a set procedure. There's a way of approaching things. There's a process that you can actually follow um, to make all this happen. And, and we just started following it. And at the same time, you're making stuff up every day. And that, that's part of the excitement of it is that you've got a new challenge every day. You've got to be the expert. And suddenly you're the expert in something completely different tomorrow. And that's part of the, the excitement and the fun of, of building a business. And also the, the pain and the challenge and the suffering of doing it is that it's um, you never know where you are. And there's always somewhere you have to be. And you don't even know where that is yet. So <laughs> it's a never ending, a never ending cycle, but incredibly exciting nevertheless. So, yeah, you alluded to, you know, real ups and downs and challenges. What were some of the biggest hurdles that you faced right at the start before you had really got anything going? What were some of the challenges? Um, I think just talking about the product, understanding the value we're delivering. We understood that, you know, there are security cameras out there. We've got cool tech that can deliver a lot of data from this. How is that actually valuable? And, and the, the most game changing thing that we did early on was go to CES with Future Worlds. Um, Sorry to, to harp on about that, but that gave us the ability to do rapidly accelerated market research. We spoke to hundreds of um, key stakeholders from loads of different industries, some of the biggest companies. I remember chatting to a guy from Kellogg's and Coca-Cola. Um, we ended up getting our first pilot with um, a UK, a big UK footwear company out of CES, and that really just accelerated. That actually proved to us that, yes, we are building something valuable. We're not completely insane, because up until that point, we hadn't really had any... Uh, market validation yet and that gave us huge spurring on and actually that helped us raise um, our first tranche of investment because we were much more confident in what we were building and we could um, we could communicate what value we were actually going to bring to to our clients which is helping them understand their business and driving revenue and here is how we're going to do it by looking at this this and this metric in their stores and identifying where they're underperforming and where they're performing well um, 
and that gave us this this um this kind of foundation to to build upon so i would say getting that market validation piece out of the way as quickly as possible is probably the biggest hurdle that a lot of businesses face so if you can find any shortcuts to being able to do that you know some mass surveys some connections you have locally or so attending something like ces that's really going to accelerate your progress um, from day one and you mentioned briefly about you and Jamie both in your PhDs. You're both doing that at Southampton. Had you always thought that maybe you'd do a startup? Like, is that why you did your PhDs to get that expertise, or did that grow while doing the research? Um, yeah, I don't think either of us did our PhDs to, to build a business off the back of them. I certainly did not expect to build a business off the back of my PhD. My PhD was very security focused. It was in identifying people from um, security cameras. So you can imagine how we got to where we are now. But I was I never wanted to go into the security space as much and didn't want to apply that there it was really just working on it because it was a cool problem and very excited about computer vision but yeah we were excited about startups at the same time i dabbled in it with some other friends that jamie literally started um, a successful business while studying his phd so he'd actually done it already um and, and when we got to the end of it we, we suddenly realized actually we have something game-changing here that we could build a business on we'd be excited to do we're excited about the problem space um, and that's going to give us a lot of motivation and power to take this forward. And how do you think that 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 process of doing the PhD has helped you or hindered you maybe in in following the, the route that you've gone? Yeah, um, obviously, I think a PhD gives you um, a steely interior in order to have a really challenging problem and actually push forward on it when all, all seems, um, you know, it, it seems impossible. It seems like an impossible challenge that like no one's ever done this before. What am I doing? And, and the PhD gives you that kind of internal reassurance. That, yeah, I can take something very, very challenging and, and take it forward. At the same time, PhD is very introspective. You're, you're just by yourself. You're focused on one very technical problem, going really deep into it, which is a great skill to have. But when you start a business, you, you need the opposite skill set, which is you need to juggle a hundred different problems at the same time be an expert in all of them, but don't go too deep into them because you need to just be building processes to hand off to, to other people um, all the time. And, and that's a completely different mindset you have to take on. So being able to, to, to switch between one and the other is incredibly important. And you, what you want to do is build a business where you have people that can go incredibly deep into that problem, but then you can manage lots of different people doing that all at the same time. Um, and, and that's the skill set that I think Jamie and I have been developing over the last four years. And I think we finally kind of got there, um, but there's always there's always a tendency to just sit back and be like, okay, I just want to solve this one thing. Give me two weeks and I'll, I'll dive into it. Um, but sometimes we have to steal ourselves from doing that and, and make sure that all the other things are ticking over at the same time. Because you can't just focus on one thing. You need to make sure everything's going forward um, all in parallel. And so how would you say that you and, and perhaps Jamie have have changed, have grown through those those four years of doing Aurovision? I think the big thing is that we've grown the vision of the business. We know where we want to take the business more clearly and how we're going to get there. In terms of, in terms of the actual like product and the technology, obviously we've had like loads and loads of learnings. Um, I think the big thing is is the operational process. So it's quite an operational heavy business we have. Uh, originally, I think we thought we could just build this product and be like a like a website essentially. And we will just log in and use it. And that is not the case. And this is never really the case when you sell to enterprise clients. They expect a level of service, which is very bespoke and very personal. You're building a, a personal relationship with them. And there's no way of um, getting out of that. 
Um, but at the same time, that's really important because that gives us a lot of learnings on how to make a better product. Um, where should we take this? Um, and, and how can we make it better for them and, and deliver more value and eventually get to you know very large deals where they're paying us lots and lots of money because we're delivering a lot of value to them. Okay, great. So so you kind of come on this journey, you've grown a lot and you, you allude to your vision has really expanded through that time. So what is that vision now? What's next for, for Daniel, for AuraVision? Yeah, so, well, today with the product, we help our current clients drive more value from their stores. So that's, you know, understanding their customers, understanding how their products are performing, understand how their physical spaces are performing. But what we want to do tomorrow, how we want to take this forward, is actually aggregate this information that we're getting across all of our clients to start giving them competitive insights about their businesses. So um, one footwear retailer can be able to benchmark their performance versus all the footwear retailers in the UK, or one store in the Southeast region can understand how they're performing against all the other stores on the same high street, for example. And this is really where we're going with that, because what the other problem we're solving is lowering the cost of acquiring this physical data. Typically, it's very expensive for businesses and some of the biggest market research outfits to actually require kind of down to the store um, level of numbers. And essentially, what we've solved is a much cheaper way of collecting that kind of data. So once we've got a much larger footprint, we'll be able to build a, another product on the back of the one we're already selling, which is this kind of market insight, competitive insight platform. And that's going to be useful for, for retailers and the shopping malls, but also for the big data research platforms, um, hedge funds, commercial real estate funds who need to know where they're going to place their next stores. They need to know which properties they want to buy next. And also really importantly for the brands themselves. So the Nikes, the ASICs of this world, they have no idea how their products perform in, in multi-brand stores. But for the first time, we're going to be able to tell them how they're performing um, compared to one another. So uh, one of the early insights we got was we could see how um, uh, Samsung's uh, recent mobile phone launch um, increased their traffic in, uh, in mobile phone shops and actually how that de decreased traffic from um, Apple mobile phones and what demographics they were typically driving in different regions of the country. And this is this is the kind of insight that, that Samsung and Apple would never be able to capture outside of their own locations um, because it's just incredibly expensive to collect. Um, they don't have the ability to, to collect that. And it's completely unique to, the, to, to what we're doing with these kind of full store insights that we can provide. And this is really the, the second big win. You know, once we've got this huge footprint around the world, once we've dominated uh, retail analytics, then we can go into the market research place. And there's just so many different businesses that can um, benefit from that. And that's what we're really excited to, to take the business as a, as a next step. That's uh, absolutely fantastic, Daniel. Uh, and, and I guess the, the, the final question really would be, what, what is it that then that looks like for you as an individual, you as a team? Now, what does, what does AuraVision look like when you're delivering on that kind of vision? Yeah, so I mean, in, in terms of our, our client base, you know, we're, we're selling everywhere over the world. It's part of the benefit of, um, of our solution is that we don't need to physically be in the same location as, as where we're selling the product because we don't need to go into the retail stores we just ship out our devices and they're installed by the retailers themselves. And that's actually quite a, a novel piece in our space. We're, we're one of the first companies that can actually do that for collecting physical data. Uh, but this means that we want to diversify the company across the world. We want to have sales teams um, locally in all these different countries because it's important to, to build a relationship. So right now, the whole team is in the UK. 
Um, but as a next step, I think after Series A, we'd like to grow the team into the US because that's our, our primary market at the moment. We're getting a lot of traction in the Middle East and in Asia. So growing out the dedicated teams there will also be a, a high priority for us. So we've got a sales force all over the world, probably keep the tech in the UK for now. Um, but then we can we can diversify that as we go further down the line and, and build out more products from, from what we're doing at the moment. Uh, great. So there's a whole host of challenges, loads of things to be optimistic about and, and, and to get excited about as you as you go forward over 2021 and the years ahead. Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time to come back, share your story with us. It's been great to just get behind the scenes of of what the, this has looked like to get Aura Vision launched. If you want to find out more, head over to futureworlds.com, head over to the Aura Vision website, uh, keep on following us on social channels and the other podcasts that we've been sharing throughout our presence at CES. But just lastly to say again, Daniel, thank you for joining us. Thank you, everyone. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. And um, yeah, very excited about what Future Worlds is going to be doing next year.